2: Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen.
1: This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number's 303-873-1935. And, of course, my guest, Brian Rohrbaugh, is um, with us, and we've been talking a whole lot about a number of different things, the state of the culture, the the problem of the public school system, and on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, it was in 1983 that the Republican president, Ronald Reagan, signed a bill to make the third Monday in January a holiday in honor of Baptist Pastor Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., who was born January 15th, 1929. By the way, Brian Rohrbaugh, only two Americans have ever had their birthdays set aside as national holidays and the Reverend Martin Luther King was one of them.
2: Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I think um, when you look at what he did, um, if you've taken the time to look at the documentary evidence, mm-hmm. um, it's it's fascinating how committed he was to a righteous change, not a war, and it's so ironic today. That we have all these political leaders who are doing the exact opposite, um, fueling the fires, if you will, of the riots we've seen around the country and that type of thing under the pretext that they're doing what he started.
1: You know, it's interesting at his Nobel Prize speech in 1964, by the way. He was the youngest, youngest, youngest uh, recipient of the Nobel Prize. He acknowledged to the king of uh, Norway, he said, quote, he said, profound recognition that nonviolence is the answer to the crucial political and moral question of our time. The need for man to overcome oppression and violence without resorting to violence and oppression. Now, that, that simple statement, on April 16th, he said, he wrote, As the Apostle Paul carried the gospel of Jesus Christ, so I'm compelled to carry the gospel. One day the South will know that when these disinherited children of God sat down at lunch counters, they were standing up for what is best in the American dream and for the most sacred values of our Judeo-Christian heritage, unquote. Which I think is... Very, very interesting because the Reverend Martin Luther King, you talk about help and healing, he is that guy who, who didn't say, you need to hate America and you need to hate America's origins in order to solve America's problems. Hating America or acting out violently is not the solution.
2: Yeah, no no question about it. And, uh, uh, and I and hopefully, that's that's why we have this day set aside, you know, this, uh, this, to remember and examine.
1: Yeah, and you know, this this is somewhat interesting to me, Brian, because as you look at his example and his, he, he didn't seem to be looking, quote unquote, for a political solution to the problem of injustice and equality. But rather, he literally called America to look deep in its heart and its soul and decide to do what's right.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's right. We, uh, w- when I was with American Right to Life, um, we had written a basically a policy on what we thought was a direction to end abortion. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of follows that line of thinking. And, uh, um, you know, obviously we we talked about it earlier, uh, but there are things we can do that don't violate any of God's commands, and we should do those. And we should educate the public about the horrors of abortion, um and the long-term results, which I'm sure you've seen plenty of, I, I certainly have. Mm. Um, and uh, anyhow, I, uh, I'm i impressed with Martin Luther King in general uh, and how he handled himself and how he handled uh, all the followers that he had. Yeah, I
1: read some of his earlier works and um, his... his um his PhD dissertation and he was heavily influenced by um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but also the African Archbishop Desmond Tutu who has recently died and um, Bonhoeffer was himself influenced by a black preacher named Adam Clayton Powell who was the senior pastor of Harlem's Abyssinian Baptist Church. It was at one point the largest Protestant church in America. But he was also, interestingly, influenced by a guy named Henry David Thoreau, who wrote in his book, In Civil Disobedience, that government is best, which governs least. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good quote. Yeah, so Martin Luther King... Um, I know. I don't know if in your adventures, you ever had a chance to meet his sister, who was who still remains in America. One of the chief chief advocates and spokespeople for again calling America to repentance in its relationship to its refusal to
2: protect the unborn. Yes, I've met her. Uh, what an honor! Uh, we had her speak at mm-hmm. uh, an event. And,
0: uh, yeah,
1: great leader. Yeah, he – I had William Federer on the program who wrote a book about Booker T. Washington, and um, the Reverend Martin Luther King went to Booker T. Washington High School. And um, it was interesting, again, that the people, the people who influenced – him in his thinking about how to live in a, in a majority culture with an outlook that elevated humanity. So it's all very, very interesting. Yes.
2: Yeah. And I, I remember, um, his writings, uh, where he said we have a moral obligation uh, to obey just laws, and we have a moral obligation to disobey unjust laws. Correct. And I've always found that, uh, you know, to be a a really great understanding uh, with the battles that we have.
1: My friend um, Greg Laurie has written a biography about um, Billy Graham and he talks about the uh, meeting that Dr. Martin Luther King had with Billy Graham in 1957 and Martin Luther King attended a crusade of Billy Graham's in New York city and Billy Graham in his autobiography wrote quote, One night, civil rights leader, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., whom I was pleased to count a friend, gave an eloquent opening prayer at the service. He also came at my invitation to one of our team retreats during the crusade to help us understand the racial situation in America more fully. And so they literally formed a friendship and a relationship, which is not well known, but this is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. Yes, I'll take your calls. Joining me, Brian Rohrbaugh, thankfully. Thank you, Brian Rohrbaugh. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. Jo- joining me is uh, Brian Rohrbaugh. We're, we're remembering some things about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. And again, the numbers 303 873 1935, and sometimes James Dobson listens to this program down in Colorado Springs, and on February 16th, he addressed a group of uh, national religious broadcasters, and he said, quote, those of you who, who do feel that the church has no responsibility in the cultural area, suppose it were 1963, and Martin Luther King is sitting in a Birmingham jail, And he's released. And he goes to a church. Yes, a church. And from that church, he comes out into the streets of Birmingham and marches for civil rights. Do you oppose that? Is that a violation of the separation of church and state? Unquote. And of course, in his address at Montgomery, Alabama, December 31st, 1955, the Reverend Martin Luther King said, quote, if you will protest courageously... And yet with dignity and Christian love, when the history books are written in future generations, the historians will have to pause and say, there lived a great people, a black people, who injected new meaning and dignity into the veins of civilization, unquote. Isn't that interesting?
2: Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, he uh,
1: he said in August 28th, 1963, now is the time to open the doors of opportunity to all of God's children. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred we must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to, de- 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 to degenerate into physical violence. On April 16th, 1963, he said, quote, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. I stand in the middle of two opposing forces in the Negro community. One is a force of complacency. The other is a force of bitterness and hatred, and it comes perilously close to advocating violence. It's expressed in the various black nationalist groups that are springing up across the nation, the largest and best known being Elijah Muhammad's Muslim movement. This movement is made up of people who have lost faith in America and who have absolutely repudiated Christianity and who have concluded that the white man is an incorrigible devil unquote. Now again, fast. That's 1963, Brian fast forward to 2022. And there is a growing group of people who've lost faith in America. And by America, I don't mean, uh, what I mean is, a, a, a country based on law and, uh, and rights that come from God. (coughs) Excuse me for coughing. (coughs) I guess I've talked too much, Brian.
2: Take it away. (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah, right now, tragically, uh, what we're seeing is a political game being played, um, you know, with, with race being at the heart of it, but not with righteousness at the heart of it. Not with the goal of making uh, America a better place. Not with the goal of giving everyone equal opportunities. Not with the goal of enforcing laws uh, appropriately, you know, regardless of who the person is. And uh, uh, I think that, that uh, letter you were just reading, um, you know, points exactly to where we are today and uh, uh so you know obviously uh i love that martin luther king was such a great american leader in in that respect his ability to put words to a paper and his uh ability for speaking <coughs> publicly moved an entire generation an entire nation and uh, unfortunately right now we seem to be caught up in the very thing he warned against.
1: Well, and again, when we talk about losing faith in America and repudiating Christianity, there was a black man who lost faith in America. His name was Manning Johnson. And he joined the Communist Party for 10 years and ran for Congress in New York as a communist candidate in 1935. Finally, he came to the realization that communists cared to nothing for the blight of the to of the black community, but were simply using them to bring division for political gain. He wrote, quote, 10 years later, thoroughly disillusioned, I abandoned communism. The experiences of those years in outer darkness are a horrible nightmare. And he wrote a book called Color Communism and Common Sense. And it was forwarded by Archibald Roosevelt, who was a uh, U.S. military commander and the son of Theodore Roosevelt. And less than a year after Manning publishing, published his, his tell-all book, he was killed in an automobile accident, accident that was described as a veil of mystery, obscuring the, the true circumstances of his death. And um, what's interesting, he went from despair to a false hope to a renewed hope. He talked about wanting desperately to believe that injustice and, and, and inequality could be dealt with. And, um, you know, again, as I'm thinking about all of these things that we've been talking about, Brian, there seems to be, at least some hints that we might learn from Dr. Martin Luther King as Christians in the sense of, of how to, with renewed courage, remind people that our faith matters.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, uh, and I think we need to be unashamed of the gospel, and willing to state what we believe and why we believe it, even in a world that says, don't you dare, and in a world that says, science proves you're a fool. Um, you know, I, I, the, the attacks that we see now uh, on questioning anything that's happening in the nation are kind of unprecedented. And I think as believers, we do have the hope in a world that wants hope, we just have to find the courage to state why we believe what we do.
1: You know, it's interesting to me about Manning Johnson. He, in his book, he said, quote, I saw communism and all of its naked cruelty, ruthlessness, and utter contempt of Christian attributes and passions. And two, I saw the low value placed upon human life the total lack of respect for the dignity of man now what's interesting to me again is that ideology of of uh, philosophical marxism or naturalism where the attempt is made to live your life as if there's no such person as god and that he's never revealed himself and he's and he's never um, given us the gospel and again this from a black man who who saw it, it, the utter corruption of, of of a solution apart from God and apart from Jesus Christ
2: yeah and, and I think our nation has got such a unique history that Uh, I don't think you could have any kind of a legitimate argument other than to come to the conclusion that this was a Christian nation from its very inception, Mm -hmm. and we should never turn our back on that.
1: This is Gino Geraci along with Brian Rohrbaugh. Thanks, Brian, so much for joining me, 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. My guest, Brian Rohrbaugh. So glad you could join me on the program. You know the number. It's 303-873-1935. Kevin, welcome to the program. Hello,
2: Gino. Hello. Gino, Gino, you're one, one of the, yeah, Gino, you're one of the best guys I know. I love you. Hey, oh, here's the question. I was talking to a guy who was really intelligent, I mean super intelligent, and he was trying to tell me how life started. And I said this to him, Gino, okay, you're saying there was a time when there was nothing, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, nothing. How can you get something out of nothing? Right. You, you can't. He didn't know what to say. He was kind of babbling. But that's, you know, I feel sorry for you're you so smart, you're stupid. You can't get something out of nothing. And that's what I have to say. And I just thank God that he delivered me of homosexuality I'm mm-hmm. set free. And I'm glad he lives. And I will meet him someday personally. Well, I do know him personally, but face to face.
1: Thank yeah. you so much, Kevin.
2: Okay, Gino. Bye bye now. Bye. Three zero three
1: eight seven three nineteen thirty-five. You know, Brian, you and I have had long conversations about extraordinary claims. You know, when a person makes an extraordinary claim, you would think that this would require extraordinary evidence. And I remember your dad, who was a geologist and he's a scientist. He he wasn't a person who was dismissive of reality or science. And um, there 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 are hard hard questions about reality. How yeah? How does nothing become something? And how does an unborn child go through all of its print, the process of gestation, and at some magical point, becomes a human worthy of of protection, love, care, and support.
2: Well, well certainly, it, it's fascinating to comprehend, and and the Bible tells us uh, something about that. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see, uh, Jeremiah
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, one. Verse five, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now that's a pretty stunning statement. statement. So it's not 22 weeks. It's not 15 weeks. It's before he formed us. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's something to take heart in, something to remember. And, uh, um you know, certainly there's a lot of mysteries uh, in the universe, there's uh, mysteries in the Bible, but there is enough information to satisfy uh, those questions if you're willing to listen.
1: Yeah, I think of what you just said in Jeremiah and in, also in Psalm 139, where it says you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written in the days that were ordained um, for me. And before one of them came to be the whole point, is that the bible is clear that human life is created by god but there's more not just simply created by god created by god for his purpose and his pleasure and sometimes you know we're willing to affirm and i'm willing to affirm that we're created by god but sometimes we we, we fail to say what what the bible also says for his purpose for his pleasure
2: right Yep, hey, absolutely right
1: three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five joseph welcome to the program hello
3: hi what joseph having, um yeah, I appreciate you having me on the air um I just have a quick question I heard, in the in the previous segment, I heard you mention a few times the phrase um having faith in america
1: and yeah yeah I, w- yes and i i mean something by that mm-hmm. And I don't mean faith in America in the same way that I mean faith in God as if America can save you or America has the solution to all of life's questions. But what I guess I am saying is that 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 America does provide I'm going to make the bold statement a unique and powerful argument. As a place where you, there should be the expectation, like Dr. Martin Luther King talked about, the expectation of freedom and justice. In other words, are all is all human government flawed? Yes. Um, is America and the United States of America does it have its fault, flaws, blemishes, inconsistencies? The answer is yes. But I'm, I'm one of those people who believes that America provides not just a solution, but in my mind, the best solution for the optimal amount of freedom for a human being in a government system. Now, is it, do, does it always act like Martin Luther King Jr. talked about its, its deeply held position? No, no. Not always, because it 's my view, not necessarily dr king 's view, but it was it 's my view that government exists to promote righteousness and to prevent wickedness it, it does the United States government do that always if i'm if i 'm being honest with you and myself, the answer is no.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Martin Luther King also spoke about the United States being the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today. And I think there's a really dangerous false gospel in our country of Christian nationalism that just mixes the American flag ahead of, you know, the slaughtered lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And
1: I don't normally do this with a with a with a caller, but I'm going to ask you to cite your source because that doesn't sound like something Martin Luther King Jr. would say.
3: Oh, yeah, the, the, that quote is readily available. He sure. About Could you just sort of give me a hint open. where to look? Yeah, so I think the full quote, I actually just read it today. I don't have it in front of me. I apologize. I'm driving. But No, no, I'm, I can drive.
1: Give issues? me part of the quote. I'm typing it in right now.
3: The greatest purveyor of violence in the world today. So he the talks, greatest he purveyor
1: of violence in the world today. He, Let's see that. People
3: were asking him to speak about the oppression and violence in the ghettos. But before he would do that, he said, I need to speak out. Because obviously this was during the Vietnam War, in which he actively spoke out. Sure, and I'm going to
1: read it in its context. He said, the greatest Please. purveyor of violence in the world, colon, my own government, yeah. I cannot be silent. Now, right. again, I'm, I am not the first person who say I agree with everything that Martin Luther King ever said. But let's just test that statement. Was the greatest purveyor of violence in the world, the United States of America, it wasn't China, it wasn't Russia, it wasn't um, any other totalitarian state? In other words, the greatest purveyor of violence in the world, is it in fact the United States of America? Yeah. So you think that's true?
3: Uh, I'm I'm not. If you're talking about the totalitarian history, no, absolutely not. But I think... At the moment he was quoting that, I think his concern with with what we were doing in the war in Vietnam and how adamantly he was outspoken against that um, yeah i don't i don't
1: i don 't dispute now it 's impossible for me to dispute that he said it because I just looked up the quote and thank you for it but if we so we're on to the well gosh, but thank you for calling. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and th- you th- thank
1: you for, for bringing that to my attention. B- but, and you know what? If you don't mind, when I come back, I'll talk a little bit about Christian nationalism. This is Gino Gerisi. I know I'm coming up on a break, and I'm so grateful to, to Brian Rohrbaugh for having joined me. Um, we're going to come back with Brian here in, in just a minute. But again, thank you for calling 303-873-1935. Joseph, thank you. Um, for asking about faith in America and what I meant by that and uh, And again, Christian nationalism is often employed as a derogatory term. Um, but I'll have a little bit more to say when we come back. 3038731935. Thanks for joining me. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program, and it's been a blessing, blessing, blessing to have Brian Rohrbaugh on the program. And, Brian, thanks so much for being my guest today and helping me through this little transition and and as I'm trying to find my voice and and lungs and breath and all of that stuff.
2: <laughs> oh, thanks,
1: Gino. Well, you know, the other caller actually brought up something really interesting, things that you've talked about and written about, you know, um, and this idea of of uh, Christian nationalism. And you and I have talked um, a lot about Christians are obligated individually to submit to the will of God and to support each other in submitting to the will of of God. And you and I both have... Strongly, strongly, strongly condemned the government when its actions are inconsistent with a biblical worldview. And sometimes that means even defying the government when it invites us to sin. And so tell me a, a little bit about your, um, you know, a, as we walk along that road, w- what constitutes a healthy, Love and loyalty for country, but sometimes what we might call a misguided love and loyalty for country.
2: Yes. So um, first of all, uh, our love and loyalty belongs to Christ. So we start with the gospel Mm -hmm. for the really the essence of life, the meaning of life. And then we look to our country in the ways that it can be refined to follow those beliefs. Um, If the government asks you to do something that God says do not do, then don't do it and risk the consequences. And and so we don't have a perfect country. We don't have a perfect system. It's man-made. But as Christians, we can have an influence on the world. And there's Uh, I've read this quote many times and it it says, um, you know, basically that the church has no effect on the country because the country has had so much effect on the church. And kind of this politically correct notion and and this idea uh, that God can't have a gender and and all the other ways that uh, God is attacked or mocked or Christianity is mocked. Um, those things we need to reject, and we need to ask of our government to be righteous. Right. And, and th- obviously, that's that's hard to do. Um, but we have to ask, and this is that classic case of risks and consequences.
1: Right, and I think we do have to ask. And again, <clears throat> there is... I don't think that there's something inherently evil um with loving your country. But uh, but again, like we talked about misguided loyalty. So, is it wrong to appreciate your country's culture or language or tradition or music or history or accomplishments? And I think that that, that the answer is no. But I also think that um when you approach politics, uh, from an ideological standpoint, and then we characterize everything as nationalism. Where if 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 a country promotes a certain agenda, it's misleading and unca- uh, uh, and, and unfair to uh, characterize. Like let, let's say we have a current administration that supports the LGBTQ civil rights, and does that make us? Homosexual, homosexual nationalists. I don't think so. What right. I, what I would what I would say is: Do we as Americans, and this is what's at issue, do we as Americans can we confront both the culture and the government when the culture asks us to promote that which the Bible forbids or condemns? You, you know, the activists who uh, oppose Jim Crow segregation. They weren't black nationalists we're thinking I'm back to uh, to, to Martin Luther King jr. okay w- was mm-hmm. Martin Luther King jr. a black nationalist because he was in opposition to Jim Crow segregation I don't think so
2: I don't think so either S- yeah i I think where where the rubber meets the road if you will um, is when something's evil, we don't partake in it. Right. And so I'll use, you know, the public schools as an example. They are teaching things, core principles, core foundational issues, as they call them, that are in opposition to God. They're in opposition to God's word. We should not support that. This is not an area where we say we're going to leave our kids in and fix it. This is an area where as Christians, we should say, we're going to find something better. And at the same time, we're going to vocally oppose what's happening. Uh, I think that's the appropriate thing.
1: And I think that when we, quote-unquote, think about evil, we usually think of it as something that is morally wrong, sinful, or wicked. But if we're as charitable as we possibly can be, if we include the idea of something that is dangerous— that causes harm, with or without a moral dimension. I think that, again, the government school fails on every definitional level. Moral, sinful, wicked, dangerous.
2: Yeah, I I agree with you.
1: Yeah, so, so, you know, in that broad spectrum, you know, I think that... um, Evil behavior is sin against other people. And then there's, but it's also evil that's committed against God, like unbelief and idolatry and blasphemy. But again, part of the challenge that we have is to point people to the biblical solution to these most difficult questions. Brian Rohrabah, thank you again again and again for helping me with today's broadcast.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Gino. It's always a privilege to be on with you.
1: And you know what? Let's give people an opportunity. If they want to find out more about Brian Rohrabah or about
2: what your wife is doing with the homeschool, where can they go? Well, on Facebook, it's Christian Homeschool Families. And then... Um, i'd recommend you do yourself a favor and mm-hmm. watch the indoctrination movie right uh, which documents the public schools has a little bit of my story in it and and a whole lot of others and uh from a bunch of people you're going to recognize
1: now in that uh documentary it's by colin gunn we've had him on the program. is there a place mm-hmm. where is it do you know if it's like uh post it on
2: youtube
1: or or do you go to indoctrinationthemovie.com? yeah um, go
2: go to indoctrination dot com. there are some short excerpts from it on youtube so that can, people can get a tiny taste of it right exactly and then occasionally they'll have a uh a free showing of it uh on their website as well
1: very cool and i know that uh John Taylor Gato, who was your friend and who's also featured in the movie, um, talks, I think, he, as brilliantly as anybody's ever talked about the subject, about public education.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. He's one of the great voices in there. And uh, E. Ray Moore, who has the famous statement that uh, trying to reform Public school is like trying to teach a pig to dance. The pig gets mad and you get dirty. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody has helped. Right.
1: Well, again, my love to your wife and thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be my guest. Thanks, Gino. Thanks for joining me. And again, by god's grace and according to god's will i'll be back tomorrow taking your calls answering your questions again you can go to uh, a lot of different places one of the places you could also get both the documentary and the book is at christianbook.com indoctrination public schools in the decline of christianity in america by colin gunn and thanks for joining me